This podcast is sponsored by Frog Eyes Incorporated. Need ingredients for your latest potion, oil, elixir, ointment, filter, tincture, or tonic? Frog Eyes has the region's widest selection of beetle stings, newt's ears, troll blood, crocodile tears, dragon thorns, fairy wings, gnat warts, horse antennae, jabberwocky breath, and cheese. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse, we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me this week is... Pete Coffee and Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ has that. It's a complete pleasure to be here. But we're not alone. What? No, no there's someone creeping there. towards me in the darkness. <laughs> Hello, I'm. Uh... <laughs> oh no, it's Robert Mariner Dodds! Oh, no! Yes, I'm Robert Mariner Dodds of Dragon Sassel Games, and I made Carbon 2185. And we want to know how you got in here. Um, <laughs> Wait, it's a hacker, isn't it? I'm an intruder. I came in through the window. <laughs> well, since you're here, we might as well make a podcast with you. Then, oh, God. I guess. Let's go for it. Since you're here, let's do some RPG news. Go on with it. So there's some really big Dragon Dance news, but we'll leave that for the moment. I was hoping we would get to that. Eventually. Oh, we will. Oh, we will. We're, we're about that. 30 seconds in, and I'm like, come on, then, let's get to it. <laughs> but before we get to the big, fun, juicy Dragon Dance news... Yes. Let's do some King Arthur Pendragon 6th edition news. Oh, is there a 6th? Uh, wait, they've released a 6th edition of Pendragon. Well, they haven't quite released it yet, but they are ah. going to release it. Have they so, announced it? Yes. So this is, wow. this, is, this is Chaosium. Yes. And it was the second anniversary of Greg Stafford's death this week. Ah, yes. And Greg Stafford's kind of always thought that uh, the Pen- the King Arthur Pendragon RPG was his masterpiece. He always used to say that. Like, yeah. uh, of all, all of his work, that was the thing that he said was... And I think a lot of people consider it uh, an astonishing an astonishing game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is 6th edition. This is a few years later. Um, obviously, oh. it came out originally in the 80s. Uh, Greg Stafford died a couple of years ago. Uh, and Chaosium this week, on the anniversary, mm-hmm. have announced Pendragon's 6th edition. Uh, which Greg Stafford was actually working on. So it's been, oh, yeah. he's actually, he's actually been in the works for about a decade, this edition. Wow. Uh, and they, and, uh, Greg, Greg considered this, he said it was the ultimate edition of the game. Uh, well, you can pick up a free PDF preview of it. Uh, there's a scenario, an adventure called The Adventure of the Great Hunt. There's six pre-generated characters and you get some rules to go all along with that. Well, I'm definitely going to be getting that. Yeah. So the last the last edition of Pendragon was like 2016, I think. I'm not sure. It wasn't too long ago. Yeah. I mean, the first one was 85. I think the, I think the last one was 2016. But this edition has been worked on for about a decade. Before wow. the fifth edition. Uh, so there was like a 5.1 and a 5.2, I think. Oh, uh, okay. So the fifth edition was probably more than a decade, I think. I, I'm I'm making this up now. De- de- gentlemen, may yes. I make a suggestion? Perhaps what is that? We should say what Pendragon is about. I did. I said it was King Arthur. Okay, so it's just King Arthur. There's nothing else that you think might be memorable well, you play, about you, Pendragon. You play knights. 
and you, you it's don't a just game. Play knights. You play a lineage of knights, and it's a game of sort of chivalry and honor and mythology. Yeah, it, 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 Greg Stafford was doing roguelikes before roguelikes even were called roguelikes. It's pretty pretty impressive. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a type of mythology not often seen in tabletop role playing games, isn't it? You know, the, mm. the Arthurian uh, mythology, and usually you kind of look at the Tolkien esque stuff. Yeah, I think maybe that's partly because it was done so well with this to try and try and do an Arthurian RPG to rival Pendragon is uh, certainly a challenge. I, oh. I also think that the it's less popular commercially than uh, Tolkien-esque mythology. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, I oh, mean, I assume <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah. the numbers. Well, I, I suppose Tolkien-esque stuff is based around. Um, a given best-selling trilogy of books, yes. pretty much. There is loads of other stuff, but pretty much it's... And like that. there is there isn't, movies. Yeah, but there isn't the equivalent for King Arthur, is there? There isn't no. a sort of foundational core trilogy of books to hinge it all off of. There's just tons and tons of different stuff sort of smeared over centuries. Yeah. Hmm. So that might be why. And also, um, I guess, Tolkien is a bit more dragony and a bit more... Well, I think I think when uh, you work in a genre and you became so popular in that genre, it kind of defines it for a generation or two. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, the first edition of D and D, although um, uh, Gary Gygax went on to say that uh, Tolkien barely influenced him, he said that <laughs> he said that after. Uh, the Tolkien estate um, mm. forced him to remove hobbits. Ents, yeah. mm-hmm. Balrogs, and a whole bunch of stuff, which Walks. were clearly straight Not out of the Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. it's just pure coincidence. There was no inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So uh, the Tolkien estate forced him to remove, which is why we now got halflings and um, tree. Which I mean is 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 kind of fair enough, I think, with the Tolkien estate. Mm. Yeah, uh, but then thereafter, he claimed that uh, Tolkien barely influenced him but only after he had to remove all that stuff. Do you think he said that on advice of his lawyers? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> oh, don't <definitely. laughs> That sounds, sounds possible. Mm. Anyway, that was King Arthur Pendragon. That's yes. good news. That is and, good news. Yeah, and yes, you can go along and play that. You can go and play that right now. Ooh. But not right now, because you're making yeah, a podcast. We're, we're busy at the moment. Yeah, yeah wait till no. after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to log off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. A little premature, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, right. anything else in the news? No, no, that's it. Okay, so we just have to talk about Dragonlance now. <laughs> right. yeah. no, well, we, we, can fill, we can fill an hour with the Dragonlance, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I think we'll probably talk about that for quite a while. Let's, let's have a look what else is in the news before we get to that, though. So, yes. All right, there's some D&D Virtual Play Weekends coming up. Virtual Play Weekends? Yeah. So Are these official Wizards of the Coast type events? Yeah. So oh, they okay. did their D&D Live and D&D Celebration stuff, and they were really popular and really successful. And so they're continuing to develop on this idea of virtual events. Mm-hmm. And these are called D&D Virtual Play Weekends. And they're kind of like mini conventions for D&D tabletop play. So they've partnered up with Baldwin Games. And Baldwin Games runs the D&D Adventurers League stuff for them. 
Uh, and uh, basically, you get this monthly D&D tabletop play. They start on Friday. They end on Sundays. They've got new D&D Adventures League adventures, which you can play there first. Mm. Uh, and then uh, you you do sort of ticketing and registration through the Yawning Portal, portal which I think is the um, the same thing that you use to uh, register for D&D Adventurers League stuff on uh, actual physical conventions. Mm. Now, that sounds very interesting. So I've seen a lot of mm. virtual conventions, obviously, over the past few months. Mm. And it sounds very similar to that. Yeah. I mean, they're making it a regular thing, though, as opposed to because, uh, like... Yeah. Well, a lot of the others were like physical conventions well, how, that how, had to go virtual. Right, so it's a regular thing. Yeah, monthly. Wow. So starting starting in November, so it's one weekend a month. To play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's one weekend a month. So November, starting in November, and they've got them already. The, the event dates are already there for November, all the way through to March next year. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I think right. that, you know, I I, I think that. Um, that's a safe bet, to be honest. I think that's going to be very successful, very popular. I'm sure it is People are so much more comfortable with online play now yeah. than they were a year mm. ago. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I am. Yeah, I yes, am as well. For sure. yeah, yeah. I, used to, mm. I used to hate it, to be honest, and now uh, mm. I find it perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. So just one last bit of information about them. It looks like they're going to be theming each one. Mm. They don't go okay. outright and say that, but they do say that, that they say our first theme for this event, the November one, will be scary. So kind of Halloween themed. So Halloween. So it yeah. sounds Ooh. like they're going to theme the December one. Presumably, will be Christmassy themed. Mm. I guess. And oh, then um, who knows? Going snow. into January. <laughs> oh, snow themed. Yeah. Snow themed. Mm-hmm. Snow I released this. I released a Christmas adventure. Um, the first, my first month uh, of uh, in the industry, I released one for free called Snowboards and Snowmen. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that sounds alright. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, I think, about 2,000 words, and it was free. I, I gave it out for free to get people to sign up to the, the mailing list, and it mm. really did work. But it was, it was, um, I couldn't really think of anything, so I thought snowboard sounded vaguely seasonal and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> then I had, to, I had to write the, the story around the title. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to come up with the title first and then try and figure out what your story is. That's what I used to do, actually. I used to do that uh, up until about two years ago. Fair enough. <laughs> right, anyway. Right. I'm going to oh, sing a theme no, no. tune to you and you've got to guess what it is. is this is, is quite this... big news. Oh, okay. This is actual news. So I'm yeah. just like, because I, I have okay. some small bits of pieces. That okay, what's this? Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. The Terminator. Yeah. Nightfall Games got Terminator Um, RPG, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've spoiled the headline, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm surprised you got it. I was thinking, what's going on there? I'm actually very up to date on that news. That was a perfect rendition, I'll have you know. We were. I I must be coming from my mindset. We were competing with Nightfall (laughs) for that license. Oh, were you now? Yeah, yeah, we didn't get it. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. That's not really news at this point, Robert. So, no, I, uh, so yeah, I, when I saw that, I was actually quite excited because I like their um, SCP game mm. and I, I, I'm very interested to see what they do with it. Well, there's not much to say about it yet. Basically, they've got no. a Facebook page and they've got a logo mm-hmm. for it. Or not even a yeah. logo, just a header graphic, which is a Terminator face with the words Nightfall Games next well, to it. Well, it appears to be custom artwork though it's not uh mm. 
you know, so they, they've they've really started commissioning art at least from the looks of it. Because mm. it's a digital Ooh. painting, and they never use digital paintings to promote the movies, as far as I know. True. But there's a lot of comics and there's probably even video games. So maybe it isn't. I don't know. I, do, I, I, haven't, I, don't know. <laughs> I haven't spoken to them but uh, no. <laughs> about it. But uh, I am excited to see where they go with it. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's basically all we can say about it at the moment. There's a header graphic mm. and they said it exists. That's yeah. it. I don't they, know. They haven't even said what system it's going to be. No, they haven't. We we were pitching it for we were going to do our own kind of D six based system for it mm. and have have it play a episodic cinematic style where each session you'd play as a new group of uh, uh, survivors trying to stop yeah. the Terminator. Um, and but they didn't like that idea. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so whatever Nightfall are doing, it's better than that. That I just yeah. said. Well, I don't think that sounds <laughs> like a bad idea, to be honest. That sounds all right. <laughs> uh, 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 if, he wants to, if he wants to run that, we, we definitely got to go. But I must say, it's like, what, 35 years since Terminator came out? It's mm. a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a classic. Um, and it's mm. a great franchise. Uh, mm. I'm excited for that one. I am excited for right. that one. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just having to see. All right. So this is interesting. Something called RPG Cinematic. Mm-hmm. So someone's using the Unreal Engine, which is Ooh, usually yes. used to make computer games. Mm-hmm. This is a programmer and animator called Luke Cosgrave. And he's using mm-hmm. the Unreal Engine to create a 3D virtual tabletop for RPGs, which is called RPG Cinematic. Okay. So this is um, ambitious, to say the least. It sounds very ambitious. I've, I've had a look at his video, and it I'm, does I'm not look. Sure it looks astonishing, assuming what he's showing is actually what it will look like when you use. I it. mean, he must he must be very talented because I I studied video game design at college. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago, and um, it was very hard. <laughs> I imagine the logistics Ooh. behind something like that would be astronomical. Let me so he must be very very talented. A link, and you can have a look. At it. I think I, I, I've seen it and it looked amazing. So we'll see. So it's uh, on Kickstarter right now. Yes. And he's asking for basically quarter of a million Australian dollars. Ah, I've just looked at the Kickstarter. Yeah, it's not doing very well. So he's asked for quarter of a million Australian dollars and so far he's made 12,000 Australian dollars and it's got 19 days to go. So it's five percent. Yeah, I didn't realise it was. Um, that goal is quite badly. high, isn't it? What it's is that about? One hundred twenty thousand pounds, one hundred fifty thousand US dollars, something, something like, like that. Like that, yeah. One hundred thirty thousand. There we go. One hundred thirty thousand pounds. Yeah, that's very high. That's very that's high. Very goal. ambitious. Hmm. Yeah, but I think it would have to be to develop something like that. Yeah, I mean that sort of yeah. thing usually takes entire companies and teams of animators and. If he's doing it all by himself... It would certainly be enough seems to unlikely. get uh, a publisher involved because they would mm. see the, the interest as that. It wouldn't be enough to make it, I don't think. I don't no, know. I don't know either. I don't know. I knew a bit more about this stuff back when I was studying it. But that yeah. was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I imagine the industry's changed since then. <laughs> I would have thought so. That sort of industry changes really quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Although, yeah. when I was studying it they first showed the teaser for <laughs> cyberpunk 2077 
which is oh, yeah, yeah. still not released. <laughs> and, and I am now graying. <laughs> I was at, at college at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, coming out next month, isn't it? Something like yes, that. Yes, I'm very yeah. excited. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> right. Monster Arena Ultimate League. Are we are we supposed to get start guess kids? <laughs> no, but just guess what it is oh. then. Mm. Monster. Monster Arena Ultimate League. There's monsters, they have a fight in the arena. Yep. Is it similar sort of to Blood system? Bowl? Um maybe. Um so this is so Pathfinder designer, Jason Borman. Uh-huh. He's running a Pathfinder RPG actual play tournament live on Twitch. And it starts oh. on October the 24th. And there's a bunch of teams. Like one of them's called the Killer Kobolds and one of them's called the Goblin Firestormers. And um, there's uh, different bouts and then they narrow it down mm-hmm. until there's only two teams left and they fight each yeah. other to find the ultimate winners. Yeah. Um, it's using the Pathfinder 2nd Edition rules. It uses Roll20... And teams are made using the Pathfinder Second Edition encounter building rules. Apparently, interesting. So mm. you, they control monsters and the player characters. Yes, yeah, monsters. Yeah. Oh, so it's a it's a game of tactics more than anything. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. I would. Uh, I'm probably going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at some of the teams here. We've got Killer Kobolds, Firestormers, the Bramble Brawlers, the Bullman. Oh, that's Jason well, Borman, a, a, the Bullman. A very man. strategic GM yeah. can do a lot of damage with a very weak monster yeah. if they're very clever. We've got the Poison Shadows, the Doom Dwarves, the Ogre Brothers, and the Bone Breakers. That's not many teams, is it? That's eight teams altogether. And okay. it's like it's one, two, three, four rounds. Okay. So it's uh, one of those um, what, what are they? elimination tournaments where two teams fight, fight each other and then one yeah. goes through. One of those types. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the good news about this is Jason Borman is actually going to be coming on this podcast in a couple of weeks. Very cool. And he'll be talking all about this, which should be quite exciting. And also we'll try and get him to talk a little bit about Pathfinder 2nd Edition while he's here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yes. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he will. Yeah. I'm sure he he'll be happy nicely. to talk about this exciting new upcoming Pathfinder 2nd Edition project he's got He's got in the works. <laughs> Russ, we, we could tell... We can tell him about our characters. <laughs> I think we should. At length. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll never get a podcast guest on again. I know, um, probably not. Already listeners for that matter. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Right. I think we kind of have to get on to the big news now. The big news? The big news. Dragonlance. The news we've all been waiting for. The Dragonlance news. So... As you both clearly know, uh, Margaret Weiss <laughs> yeah. and Tracy Hickman, who yeah. were the authors of the original Dragonlance Chronicles and Dragonlance Legends trilogies yeah. back in the 80s. Fantastic authors. Are suing Wizards of the Coast for breach of contract and tortious, I see if I pronounce that word, um, interference. Right. And they're suing them for $10 million. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That must have been a pretty good contract. <laughs> well, so yeah. it's, it's a bit of a complicated situation. So about two or three years ago, um, the pair of them uh, realized or heard through the grapevine that Wizard of the Coast was interested in licensing out various D&D worlds in order mm-hmm. to, you know, rather than Wizard of the Coast doing it themselves, license them out to sort of authors like them. So they approached Wizard of the Coast 
uh, and asked about licensing Dragonlance, their baby, from them. And uh, mm-hmm. over a couple of years, they hashed out this deal. And what happened was, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman were going to license the Dragonlance property from Wizards of the Coast. So they weren't working for Wizards of the Coast. They were licensing okay. the property from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. And then separately, they set up a publishing deal with Penguin Random House to publish these, this new trilogy of novels. Yeah. And Penguin okay. Random House would be the publisher of the novels. Yeah. Weiss and Hickman would be the licensees. And of course, Wizards of the Coast are the IP holders. So you've got this triangle. Uh-huh. Well, they're the mid- they're the middlemen. Uh, yeah, well, they're not just the middlemen; yeah. they're writing it. They're, yeah, they're, no, they're, I, I they're, they're doing the work. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> not, <laughs> that's not what I meant. Obviously, <laughs> uh, they're, they're the fulcrums of this triangle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not a triangle as much as it is a V shape, more so a V shape with them in the yes. middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is what I was trying to say. Yeah, I get, I get okay. <laughs> so, um, what happened was they uh, agreed various milestones of Wizards of the Coast, and part of the licensing agreement was that Wizards of the Coast um, had the right to approve the manuscripts for these novels, basically to make okay. sure that they didn't do anything weird and make Wizards of the Coast look bad. It's, fa- it's fairly standard. Any licensing yeah. agreement includes yeah. approval. Well, they always do. So... Um, yeah. They wrote the first book, which was called Dragons of Deceit, and Wizards of the Coast approved it. Um, They have also written the second book, which is called Dragons of Fate, and done the outline for the third book. Mm -hmm. So this trilogy is well, well underway. Writing a whole book is a a lot of work, so they've done a lot. They did the first one really quick as well, in about six months, I think. Wow. Mm. Very passionate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's their job, isn't it? They basically probably sat down and made that their full-time job. Mm. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. so uh, fast forward to 2019 or so. Uh, mm-hmm. So Wizards of the Coast, according to this lawsuit, um, Wizards of the Coast was, is going through basically a firestorm of public opinion regarding inclusivity stuff. Yes. Like uh, not just on the D&D side, but also Magic the Gathering. Just like yes, generally, generally everywhere. We've got, you know, uh, Mike Mills and the Zach S stuff. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of Magic the Gathering cards with, um, was, I can't remember what it was exactly. I think was it? Oh, uh, horrendous racist reference. Yeah, it was a white supremacist symbols in it yeah. or something. I can't remember what it was exactly, yeah. but, uh, yeah. well, there was a, I remember uh, that yeah, it wasn't on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they hire some dubious people, including one person who, uh, there's a big medium article about, uh, how his books basically apparently encourage, uh, misogyny and pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, they have that Orion Black thing where Orion mm-hmm. Black quit the company, uh, or I don't know if he actually quit the company, whether his contract ended, but he talked about, um, tokenism in their hiring practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and it go- and it goes on, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. It's, it's just it just being... it was it was a big and they're and they're lurching. Snowball. They've been they were kind of lurching from one thing to the next, and this thing was hitting mainstream news as well, not just uh, not just you know people like us. Mm. So you know they were Wizards of the Coast were having all this going on, and um, this is where it gets a bit iffy, and where there's clearly stuff that so far we haven't been given the full information yet. So you've got to kind of read between the lines. So Weiss and Hickman cite this firestorm of public opinion about inclusivity. And then they say that Wizards of the Coast 
and you think uh, decided to uh, ask for significant rewrites of the first book, like 70 pages worth of rewrites of the first mm-hmm. book. The book they already approved. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think, or was it the second book, maybe? I think it was the second book, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which they, they say... Which they do, I guess. Yeah, but which they say was basically due to the current cultural zeitgeist of inclusivity. So basically, there was something okay. in that work that Wizard of the Coast looked at it and said, okay, this, given all the stuff that we've been going through recently, putting yes. out this book right now is not good for us as it, yeah. as it is written at present. We don't know what, mm-hmm. what that content was. Yeah. There's no way to know. Um, but there was something. Yeah. There was something. And not just something, 70 pages worth of rewrites they asked for. Mm-hmm. It's quite a significant amount. So, why is it Hickman said yeah. they did that? Yeah. But they say, uh, we accommodated the rewrite requests um, in a timely manner. But And this is where the heavy lifting comes in, I think, in the lawsuit. Mm. In a timely manner within the framework of our novels. And I think that yeah. within the framework of our novels is a really important phrase because it sounds to me mm. that that means they did take on board the requests to rewrite stuff, mm-hmm. but um, mm. there was limitations on what they felt either able or willing to do given the structure of the actual story they had already put in place. Mm. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. It's, yeah, yeah, so... so- um, they kind of rewrote based on what they were told, but not exactly what they were told because it wouldn't work with the story. Yeah, or what. they basically said, well, that, that basically or changes the entire thing. Lines. We can't do that or something like yeah. that. So that's what they say they did. Okay. Um, it sounds like probably there was a bit of to and froing going on over this. Mm. And then yes. eventually Wizard of the Coast during a conference call yeah. turned around and said, look, we're just not going to approve anything now. And they were like, what do you mean not going to approve anything? And they said, we're not going to approve anything. So okay. no matter what it is, they say they're not going to approve it. Now, Weiss, so basically that, that screws up Weiss and Hickman's contract. What this means yes. is Penguin Random House, who mm-hmm. have already paid Weiss and Hickman in advance, yes. now withhold the second milestone advance yes. on royalties to Weiss and Hickman. Because Wizards of the Coast yeah. have said they're not going to approve anything. If they're not going to approve anything, there's not going to be a book. Yes. So Penguin Random House are sort of like, well, what are we paying you for then? If you know, yeah. if there's not going to be a book, of course. Yeah. Uh, so Weiss and Hickman allege this is mm-hmm. alleged two things. So one yes. is they say uh, uh, there is no termination clause in the contract, in the license contract, which allows. Wizards of the Coast to unilaterally just terminate the contract. What they have to do is ask for rewrites. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, they have to uh, go through an approval process and the contract says they have to give back guidelines on what has to be done to get it approved if they don't approve. They have mm-hmm. to, in writing, say, we don't approve, but if you do these things, that's what it will take to approve it. But what Wizards right. of the Coast mm-hmm. have just said is we just won't approve anything. Now, yes. they're saying the contract says you can't say that. The yeah. contract says you have to look at it, you have yes. to put it through the approval process, and you have to tell us what we need to change in order to approve, get it approved. Yeah. Wizard of the Coast is saying, yeah. no, we're not going to do that. We're just not going to approve anything. So they're I, saying I, I that is a breach of contract there. I do feel that Wizard of the Coast are potentially being quite unreasonable about this. Well, yeah. I mean, but bear in yeah. mind, we're hearing one side of the story. We only yeah. hear this, this, this is what I, I've kept in mind. That sounds oh. like an open and shut case, oh. if that is the case. Yeah. 
So what they're alleging is basically this is tantamount to uh, basically um, ending ending the contract, isn't it? They're not they're not actually um, ending the contract, but they're effectively doing so. It sounds like this all relies on what was said in the conference call. Uh, yeah, there's, there's information which we don't have. Mm-hmm. Basically, we've yeah. got Weiss uh, and Hickman's lawsuit, and that is a that is an argument in their favour. So it's very, very much designed to surely shore Wizards up their of the case. Coast could just deny <laughs> could, could just deny that that conference call happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh, I, I mean, think if if this is entirely accurate, you know, which it might be, mm-hmm. it might be entirely accurate. Then it seems very open and shut, and they'll probably settle out of court and just pay well, them there's off. A, there's or another little sort of wrangle to it. Oh, so Wizards of the Coast technically don't have a relationship with Penguin Random House in this this arrangement. No, so Penguin Random House are publishing the books. Weiss and Hickman have a publishing contract with Penguin Random House to write the books, and Weiss and Hickman also have a licensing arrangement with Wizards of the Coast. There's no direct con- mm. connection between Wizards and Penguin Random House. Now, Weiss and Hickman are alleging in the lawsuit that Wizards of the Coast went behind their backs to talk directly to Penguin Random House and told mm-hmm. Penguin Random House that they were going to scupper the deal. Now that changes. And this is what <laughs> that this changes is, everything. Yeah, this is what they're calling tortious interference. So mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast, they're alleging, has interfered with the contract between two other entities mm-hmm. and, and caused and caused you know caused one of those entities to breach the contract. If uh-huh. this is true. If it's true. Yeah. If it's true, which we don't know, you know, um, I, you know, I'd be willing, I'm siding more with the authors here than Wizards of the Coast, given the track record of both. But, but it, it, could also- be tr- it could not be true. If it is true, this is a far worse controversy for Wizards of the Coast than whatever could have possibly been yeah. in those books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it all just depends what's in those rewrites that was problematic as well. Yeah. So what, was I was trying to think about Dragonlance and what could be problematic in Dragonlance and what have people said in the past. So there are some things people have said in the past are problematic about Dragonlance. There's the whole yeah. uh, uh, Plains Barbarians, um, like Riverwind... And Gold Moon, and uh, clearly they're sort of inspired by Native Americans. Yes. Yet they're kind of pictured mm-hmm. as white. Yeah. Like Gold Moon, especially, is definitely pictured as a white person with the trappings of, of a Native American, which is yeah. which has always been a sort of thing that people have mentioned from time to time over the years as being kind of problematic. There's Godly Dwarves, which people kind of have a problem with an entire race of, you know, dwarves, which are Bots, even yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot in, going on. In the modern era, you know, there's a lot that it could be. Yeah, um, I, yeah, we don't know true. exactly what it is. And also, this is um, new material as well. This is a new book, so it might be new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, well, I think that would be worse. Um, <laughs> if it was new problematic stuff yeah, rather yeah. than rehashing old problematic yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So we don't know uh, what that yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, it could be. Don't know if it it could... is po- problematic or if that was just wizards being overly protective. Yeah, we don't know. Again, we don't know. We have no idea. No. Well, sounds like they should have got themselves some uh, cultural consultants, eh? <laughs> uh, well. I'm just throw it out there. <laughs> but I presume so- at some point, Wizards of the Coast, if they, they'll either settle out of court 
But uh, Weiss and Hickman are asking for a jury trial on this. If it does go to a jury trial, then that presumably will all become a matter of public record and we'll know exactly what the response is and what the details are. In a way, I hope that happens purely for my own curiosity. Yeah, it's just for entertainment <laughs> value, yeah. But <laughs> the likelihood it will settle out of court and we'll never, ever find out what the truth is or what yeah, was its responses or anything like that, which would be unfortunate. But, you know. Um, but it's very juicy news for now, isn't it? It is, it is. It's very I, juicy. I feel it might kind of just poison the well for anything Dragonlance for the next 10 years, though, because mm. I like Dragonlance, and How I would love to see Dragonlance come back. But if um, It's a property of Wizards of the Coast, though, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. But if it's so, they, if it's so connected in people's mind... Yeah, if it's so connected in people's mind with this... Yeah. Well, they, they, they'll we, probably just say for the next thing, oh, no, nah, we'll not do that, we'll just do Forgotten Elms. Well, you have Elms, to remember, you know? with Wizards of the Coast... And uh, they're they're Dungeons and Dragons audience. The majority of their audience are new players, mm. as in in the last five years. So they don't so necessarily know much about Dragonlance. They anyway. don't necessarily need Dragonlance mm. as an IP. They could come up with a new IP, mm. and to all these mm. new players, the majority of their players, it would have the same weight. Yeah, but without any controversy yeah. and without mm. any problems. Mm. So this might be the nail in the coffin for Dragonlance. Maybe. Because I mean, it, is, it still has value. It, really. it still has value, though. Oh, and, certainly. certainly. And companies aren't in the habit of just jettisoning stuff that they own that has value. They'll do something with it, it at some point. It does happen, but not, yeah. not that often. I mean, Hasbro definitely isn't known mm. for that. Hasbro hangs on to stuff. It, it doesn't sell stuff off, really. It doesn't... Mm. It, it, you know, as far as I can make out, it would rather just hoard stuff that it's not using rather than... Um. Well, I kind I, I, I of quite enjoy Dragonlance. I'd be interested to see something new, but I am far behind it. There's a whole... I missed a whole season of Dragonlance, at least. Mm. I, uh, the, everything to summer. Yeah, it's more than a season, I, I think. I think you'll find us... You saw seasons one and two, more. and it's now on season ten. I oh. really hope that the Wizards makes a, a new campaign setting uh, with new lore and new oh. books and everything. I think that would be very interesting. Interesting. Well, they have well, said that they're going uh, to be revisiting two classic settings in the following year, or in the uh-huh. upcoming years, and also there'll be more Magic the Gathering settings. Right. So I don't know whether that leaves room for a brand new... It doesn't sound like it no, does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it's much easier to work with existing settings than to make a new one. But then again, if one of those existing settings was Dragonlance, that plan might be on hold right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very possibly, actually. Who knows? The, the spell drama people have all done like a, uh, a Mexican way. <laughs> I guess we're still in the chance. Yeah, I, I do feel their pain, but yeah. Mm. Uh, sometimes I think Painscape. Yeah. That's my bet. Um, Honestly, I've I think already had the computer. That's game, my bet. So, yeah. Anyway, it sounds like we've pretty much finished the news. I just want to do a quick plug for something. We Ain't Afraid of No Ghost Halloween Horror for 5e is my current mini quick starter. This is the third of my super mini quick starters. And this contains five mini supplements uh, compiled into one soft cover booklet. It's only about 30 or 40 pages long. And each of them is sort of just in time for Halloween. It ends just before Halloween. horror-themed D&D 5th edition stuff. That seems very mm-hmm. exciting. I saw that on Kickstarter, mm. and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I haven't backed it yet, but I will be 
before it ends. Well, the fun thing that uh, we always do is the digital side of any Kickstarter goes out immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I I really envy your organisational skills in being able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) uh... Is it organisational or is it massive amounts of impatience? (laughs) Either way, it works out very well for the back end. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I can't be doing waiting for stuff to come in. And it's just been a rule of mine for years yeah. now. Don't start a Kickstarter until I'm physically holding the object in my hand. I've, uh, I hope to get there. You there. just have a long lead time. You're working on one while the next Kickstarter's mm. running. Well, we're, yeah. we, might, we only had one big success, really. So we've just been uh, not had the money to make one mm-hmm. yet without... <laughs> Keep yeah. it. Well, your first one was a big success, though. It wasn't just... Yes, yeah. it was. And your current uh, one looks like it's going to be... We'll talk about that in a second, anyway. Yeah. Right. Big day tomorrow. We're going to rid the world of Grim Fanny and Deathly. Yes. I suppose we should formulate a plan. I'm glad you said that. I have notes. Notes? Yeah. I went round the entire fellowship and asked for their contributions. I see. Well, let's hear it then. What's the plan? Yeah, right. Okay. So, first off, the bard will compose and perform a song about the foul miscreant. Hmm. I mean, there are already countless laments and dirges about him already. They were performing Night of the Crimson Lily in the tavern just last night. Well, yeah, yeah. But that's just a star. Every member of our fellowship has unique abilities they can bring to the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that's the, that's the point of a fellowship, I suppose. Right, okay, well, very well. Once the bard has performed the song, what next? Then it's the turn of the warlock, who will lay upon the evil fiend her most vexatious curse. Yeah, I mean, he is a death knight, you know, doomed to spend eternity in darkness and despair, feeling no peace, reliving his most bitter memories every night. Is the warlock's curse worse than that? Oh, yeah, much worse. It's it's kind of like a pox. A uh, pox? Yeah, yeah, it's a sort of a, a you know, bit of a, bit, of a, bit of a malady. Well, I know what a pox is, but it's not much bleeding use against a bleeding death knight, is it? Well, you might get a rash. A rash? Listen, listen, we haven't gotten to the ranger yet. And what's the ranger going to do? He's going to flirt with the Dark Lord's nightmare steed. He's going to what? Yeah, he's going to distract it while the others go to work. Which is? Well, the rogue is going to climb the Shadow Knight's walls. And? Well, that's it. He's just going to climb the walls. He put all his points into climbing. Did he now? Yeah. Uh, so he's not going to do anything when he gets to the top of the walls? Well, I suppose he'll probably just climb back down again eventually. Look, does anybody in the Fellowship have anything useful they can do? Of course they do. We're the Cubs of the Nine Swords, are we not? So I'm led to believe. Um, okay, what's the cleric going to do? Surely one of such holy power will have an answer for this dire blackguard. Let me see. Cleric. Cleric. I should put them in alphabetical order. There's only six of them, with plans which, as best as I can tell, appear to take up one line each. How long can it take? Ah, here it is. Cleric. Yeah, the cleric is going to... uh, Yes? Well, he's gonna... I'll just spit it out, will you? What's the cleric going to do? 
He's gonna light some candles. He's gonna light some candles. Well, no, not just that. Oh, phew. Okay, what else is he gonna do? He's gonna forgive him. He's what? Well, he's a cleric of peace and love, after all. For crock's sake! This entire fellowship is as useless as a turnip in a dogfight! I'm not going with you on this doomed quest. It's certain death. Edric, old mate, how can you possibly say that? Singing songs, hexing the already accursed, climbing up and down walls, lighting candles. How is any of this going to destroy the Maleficent Brute? Oh, come on now. We're all doing our best. Doing your best? This is, without doubt, the single worst adventuring party I've ever had the misfortune to work with. Well, 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 steady on, mate. That's a bit harsh, don't you think? A bit harsh? I came here expecting a fellowship of stout and hardy warriors, daring and nimble thieves and wise and powerful wizards, and instead I get this squabble of... Of what? Nincompoops! Well, if that's the way you feel... I believe I was perfectly clear. I've worked with the Fellowship of the Ring. I battled dragons with the heroes of the Lance. I was there when they formed the Circle of Eight. I probed the Underdark with the Companions of the Hall. Even those kids from the D&D cartoon were more competent than this chicken food outfit. Look at you and your fancy-smancy adventuring parties. I don't see any of them lining up to take on Rimfang and Deathly. Well, I've just found a new group. They sound promising. I'm off to meet them now. These guys will be the heroes we need for sure. Oh, really? And who, pray tell, is this new company of intrepid adventurers? They call themselves the Seven Dwarves. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We just wanted to mention our Patreon. Peter, are you familiar with our Patreon? Oh, is it uh, patreon.com slash Morris? Yes. M-O-R-R-U-S. At patreon.com forward slash Morris, you can find our Patreon, which is what pays for our podcast and buys yes. us all these wonderful microphones and yes. mixers and other little bits and pieces. And wires, so many wires. And all these wires. Uh, we have a load of wonderful Patreon backers at the moment. And yes. those backers get... We cherish you all. Yes, we do cherish them very much. And those backers yes. get bonus content every single week, just as a thank you for, uh, for backing our Patreon. And because they're so awesome and so quick off the mark, they also get to like talk to us in our Discord channel, which is pretty good. Mm. And we sometimes even deign to answer that. Uh, but even more importantly, when we have guests coming onto the show, they have the opportunity to ask questions of those guests. Um, mm. And then we will pass on the questions that we think we, our guests will answer. So please, if you do enjoy the podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Morris. Link will be in the show notes. Yes. And support us, even with just a dollar a month. Every little, every little bit helps. Let us, let us talk about Terminal Overdrive. Robert, what yes. is a Terminal Overdrive? Terminal Overdrive is the name of the new sourcebook forward slash mission book for mm. Carbon 2185, a cyberpunk mm. role-playing game, which is a, uh, a cyberpunk role-playing game built using the 5th edition uh, open game license, but with all the magic and fantasy elements taken away, thrown away, we leave that to Shadowrun, 
and we've replaced it with hardcore cyberpunk. Mm. And you've been on before, and you've told us all about Carbon 2185 itself. Yes. And if listeners want to know more about that, they can dive back into that particular podcast. And they should, because that's a fun episode. It was a fun episode. That was a great episode. They're all great episodes. We only do great episodes. (laughs) Or the opposite of that. That's true. We've never done a great episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's one or the other. (laughs) Well, let the listeners listeners decide. So Terminal Overdrive is... Yes. uh, A supplement for that. It is. Uh, It's also... The campaign also contains a reprint of the core rulebook. Because we sold out, we don't have any, so we're reprinting it. And we're adding, you know, ten pages or so of new content. Yep. All of the new content and the changes uh, will be given to everyone who's already got it as a free PDF, and of course, as an eraser if they want to print it out. Mm. Uh, so they're getting something for free, even if they don't back it, which they should. Mm. <laughs> they still get enough grades to the book they already have. That's excellent. Nice. Yeah. 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 So we're we're just doing some layout changes, some quality of life improvements, and adding a few new things mm. that we wanted to add in the first one, but we had to cut due to budget and time. So I think it's fairly fair to say that Carbon Twenty One Eighty Five is doing really well for you. I mean, how, what did you get Ooh, on the yeah. first Kickstarter? It was well over a hundred. We got one hundred and forty-three thousand. Yeah, and you're already at sixty thousand pounds now, and you only in the first it's week new. of this Kickstarter. Yeah, this is uh, day seven. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, so it's doing incredibly yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, we have really, yeah. really passionate uh, community mm. that are fantastic and are doing all the heavy lifting for yeah. us, really. Uh, <laughs> spreading it uh, around and uh, pitching us new ideas constantly and uh, making fan creations. Yeah. And uh, there's, It's a really active community. But Terminal Overdrive itself, which is the title of the campaign mm. and the new source mm. book, introduces new, a new origin, which is uh, similar to other uh, other games races called the Awakened Mech and mm. times have changed in 2185 someone has been able to give mechs which we call robots sentience similar to chapping mm. uh, or you know, C-3PO or, or that sort of or thing or many other robots mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. suddenly you have a handful a couple dozen sentient robots running around and now the players mm. The cyberpunks get to play as them if they want sure. to. That opens up so many role play and gameplay options, uh, such as, mm. for example, if you're a <laughs> if you're a police robot, people are just going to trust you. Mm. You have pretty good access to a lot of buildings mm. without any questions. That sort of thing. You seem totally legit. Yeah, of course. You would know what yeah. question. Why would anyone question well, a police robot? Yeah. Acting. <laughs> unless yeah. If there's, acting if there's funny, one thing might... we all know to trust, it's police and robots. <laughs> never have either of those yeah. two things done anything bad yeah. <laughs> well so yeah so you get a lot of new options there uh we're also it's got a 120 page mission which is also known as a campaign mm-hmm. by uh games workshop author ben counter uh who wrote the horace heresy uh series mm. for very popular best-selling author mm. He's done a fantastic job with this. It's a really, really great campaign. It's already written. It has already been written, and I've read it, and I love it, and I keep wanting to tell people about it, but I can't give them the specifics. <laughs> Not yet. Well, you can. Uh, well, I can give an overview <laughs> in which you know the cyberpunks are thrown into uh, the cyberpunks, the player characters are thrown into this scenario where they end up having to save the world. Mm. Against their will, really. <laughs> you know, they, they don't want to, but 
if they don't, no one else is going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, <laughs> Which is true cyberpunk fashion. They're only saving the world to save themselves. So you mentioned the Enigma Collective and the Sculptress, which is an AI. Yes. Uh, an AI gone rogue. Wow. A military AI gone rogue. Sculptress is a cool name. What's, what's, a, what's a Sculptress? Mm. Uh, it's her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Yeah. <laughs> it's her code name. Uh-huh. <laughs> does it relate to what she can nice. do or what she does in some way? Well, she kind of... Uh, it's hard to explain. She's, she's this overarching figure mm. uh, in, in the campaign, in the early part of the campaign itself. That kind Ooh. of controls things from behind the scenes. Nice. Yeah. Sculpts is oh. attempting to sculpt the world and people into nice. the way she wants it to go. And Ooh. the cyberpunk stumble upon this mm. and yeah. decides to put a stop to it because, like I said, if they mm. don't, no one will because no one's going to believe them mm. and they mm. would just die mm. and <laughs> they would rather not die. So they're reluctant heroes. You know, they're reluctant heroes. Ooh. They're saving the world. And risking their lives to do it because the alternative is certain doom. Mm. Um, but that's first, motivating. Yeah, at first they're kind of just mm. going up against the Enigma Collective, mm. a group of um, hackers and other cyberpunks that are kind of not so nice. <laughs> mm. They're up to no good, and there's a short story already in one of the updates mm. Uh, mm. that's about by Ben. Uh, about the Enigma Collective, and people can go and read that, and it's a, it's a really great read. And we've got mm. more short stories coming that give people more details about the Enigma mm. Collective, and kind of act as a prequel to the uh, the campaign. So, if GMs and players they want to read these, they won't get any spoilers, mm. but they will get more depth from the world. Mm. You know, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Mm. So, and the short stories follow the Enigma Collective themselves. Yeah. They are the protagonists in the stories, but the mm. antagonists in the uh, mission. Yeah. Right. So other than this adventure, so you've got uh, an adventure, which is 150 pages in itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the uh, Awakened Mech Origin, which you mentioned yes. earlier. And uh, yeah. I, I, I see that there's three sub-origins there. What Can you talk a bit about those? So I can talk a little bit about those. Okay. I can talk about one of them, which is the uh, the the military mech. Yeah, uh, you are an awakened military mech. Well, I can, I'll tell you about two of them actually. I, I might as well, <laughs> uh, and I'll save the other one for a, a Kickstarter update. <laughs> but uh, the military mech, so you're very well trained, very tough. People aren't. They're gonna act weird, you know. If if a if a robot soldier, mm. a tin man, walks into a bar with a group of people. Well, they're going to think there's something up, and you, you might oh. get shot in certain mm. areas or cause yeah. people to flee. And uh, so that's a difficult one. Another one is a service mech, a protocol droid, like, you know, uh, C3PO, yeah. Uh, yeah. built to serve, but suddenly sentient and has decided doesn't want that, <laughs> uh, which is a lot of fun. And um, we've got new, uh, new mechanics for these this origin uh, upgrades, replace augmentations, because obviously they don't have biology. Yeah. Um, so they can upgrade their their exoskeleton and that sort of thing to improve their stats. Yeah. So, so talking to people trusting the police mech, I imagine like a service mech, people just wouldn't mm. even notice them almost sometimes, just because like almost really, invisible. Do you notice mm. the vending machine in the corner? You know, is no. that yeah? No, you don't. You don't notice when you're walking in someone's house. You don't notice their vacuum cleaner exactly. in the hallway. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, a service mech can just. Ah. Uh, Even more invisible than someone wearing a high-vis vest. 
That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty invisible. That is, that is like, well, well yeah. <laughs> he mean. must know, he's, it must be meant to be, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's your, you can't tell us the third sub origin not yet no. okay <laughs> it's a secret maybe we should it's guess if you guess correctly I won't confirm it though <laughs> <laughs> how good is your poker face <laughs> it's not great well, it's probably better than, it's probably better than yours Russ no, no, no. <laughs> or maybe we're, my... also, we're also introducing cyberspace rules the ability to go yes. into cyberspace itself Right. Uh, I, I, I have to ask how you pronounce that word. Which word? A pyrosphere? Oh, yes. A pyrosphere? A pyrosphere. A pyrosphere. A pyrosphere. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're calling it because we didn't want to call it cyberspace because everyone else does. Overrated. <laughs> yeah. Seems reasonable. It's, done. it's been done. It's been done. Right. Done snap. <laughs> but we're calling it uh, a pyrosphere which is going to be a lot of fun because, mm. you know, your players are going to be, as they enter it, similar to the Matrix, they're able to give themselves special abilities and boosts within the cyberspace itself. Mm. So they will have a different set of skills and, and character abilities in cyberspace than they do in the real world. And some combat's going to take place in cyberspace. So what does cyberspace um, look like? Does it look like the real world or is it kind of like it all looks matrixy like digital numbers? Yeah, it looks like the real world with some, you know, there's going to be glitches here and there. Yeah. And uh, the sculpturist, for example, has a, a grand throne room mm. uh, based on neoclassical architecture uh, in which there will, obviously, you're going to fight the sculpturist. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> that's, I don't think that's a spoiler to say that you're going to fight the bad guy. Uh, <laughs> but she mm. is, uh, she's got a whole host of uh, wacky abilities that you wouldn't mm. normally fight in a cyberpunk game. But mm. of course, that- you're in a digital world fighting a computer program who controls that mm. world. So if you die that's in awesome. cyberspace, do you die outside cyberspace? Yes. Yes. No, you do. So it's perfect. Tra- tra- yeah. There's no reload function. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not quite like the Matrix. Or do they die in the Matrix? Yes. Yeah, they do, yeah. They mm. do. That's, that's pretty much a major part. Mm. Plot point. <laughs> I haven't seen the Matrix in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and the first one was quite good, it. and the second two were pretty rubbish. <laughs> I haven't watched it since I was an adult. So <laughs> I don't recall all, been, of, all of the law. It's been a long time, yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've yes. unlocked a lot of stretch goals already. We've yeah. unlocked uh, Chow's request, parts one through six, as a soft mm-hmm. cover book. Mm-hmm. Parts one and two are in the back of the core rule book and were very popular. Mm. So we decided to expand that, rewrite part two, because I wasn't entirely happy with it. So I've done some changes to part two. Mm. And uh, those would be in the new core rule book as well. But parts one through six are now collected as one adventure path that sees Jackie Chow and gang lieutenant in the triad rise through the ranks of the triad with your help. Mm. Of course, there's nothing more useful than having a triad boss owe you a favor. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I do have a question. The Kamal catalog. Yes. Excellent name. Tell me more. Now the KHMA catalog for the Khan Mizara catalog is an in universe shopping catalogue of weapons, items, and augmentations aimed at cyberpunks in the world. Oh. Each page, it's going to be 60 pages, each is a PDF um, at the moment, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, make a soft cover if we get high enough. 
it's got each page is going to feature an illustration of the item weapon or augmentation mm-hmm. a little blur, mm-hmm. a sales blurb about it because of course it's an in-universe manual yeah. uh, all the statistics you need and of course an explanation about why mm-hmm. KMHA is the only brand for true cyberpunks and anyone who uses anything else is just a poser seems reasonable <laughs> <Ooh>, yeah yeah <laughs> Mm. So it's similar to the, uh, I believe there's a there's a street samurai book uh, for mm. Cyberpunk 2020 from 1989 mm. or something like that. Um, mm. the, the, a similar thing. So it's going to have illustration, blurb, statistics, yeah, uh, sales say, pitch. I do like these limited edition books, the black oh, and they're yellow fantastic, books. Aren't they? they're, they're they're really is nice. that new? The limited edition core book, or is that was that a <laughs> the, so it's a reprint. The old one had a different cover. Right. Because we wanted people who really like to collect to not have to have two of the same limited edition books if they wanted mm. the new one. Right. So they mm. could have two different covers to show that they backed it on the first Kickstarter and nice. they have the most up-to-date nice. core rule book yeah. as well. And I like the matching mm. cover for the limited edition Terminal Overdrive as well. Yeah. That was... Uh, I, mm. I love that design. That was uh, by uh, Ray Johnson mm. who did a lot of logo work for us. He's a really talented uh, artist. They're really cool. I love them. Sorry, go I've on. got loads of the limited edition. Why well, I say loads. I've got about four or five. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love them. I think they look great. They're, they're, they're a black heavy cloth cover with gold foil. Mm. So if I remember correctly, the non-limited edition, the standard, the regular edition cover, did you say that um, that was based on someone you know? I seem to recall from our last conversation. Klaus Whitman, who uh, drew that, based it on his fiance. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Because he wanted, I told him I wanted a, a woman on the cover who was looking at you as if to say, I could kill you, but you're not worth the time. And he said, I know that look. Let me draw my fiance. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know that look. <laughs> it's very relatable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he also uh, returned for the Terminal Overdrive cover, mm. which he managed to do. We, we had a hard time scheduling him this time because he's been busy working on the new Batman film Ooh. Uh, as a concept artist on that. Ooh. And he helped design the new Ooh. Batman costume. So Ooh. very, very in demand. Ooh, I, do, I do hope that's a good film. I hope that comes out. I hope so. it looks good. So and far. At so the far, very yeah. least, the concept art is fantastic. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, so I'm looking at the Terminal Overdrive cover. On the cover there, I assume that's one of the Awakened mechs. Is that a soldier yes, one? Yes, it is. Uh, it is a law enforcement one. Oh, I see. It okay. has the San Francisco Police Department. Badges, right? Everything, but that's not a playable one. That is playable. Oh, it is. Oh, is that is that, that is the third playable. one? So we got yeah. the. Well, it's it's kind of uh, the military one is also law enforcement. Oh, I see. I see. In twenty one eighty five, there there's a they're there's, pretty much the same thing. Much difference between yeah. a soldier <laughs> and a police officer. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I think in some places in the world that's pretty similar to now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think some places there is no difference. Yeah. 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 So, so what else can you tell us about uh, Terminal? Uh, we've got new weapons, armor, and items, and we've got yes. new augmentations and cybernetics. We've got a general sort of uh, um, supplementary stuff for the core wall, wall book, basically. They're just new yeah. equipment, new stuff people have been asking for. Yeah, you know, um, and the seventy-five thousand uh, dollar pounds. Not dollar. <laughs> I think we've already hit that seventy-five thousand pounds stretch goal mm. is Berlin. 
2185, mm. another one of our settings. We've got uh, the core rulebook contains San Francisco. Then we have the city's sourcebook supplement book, which contains London, Manhattan, and Tokyo. Tokyo yep. Mm-hmm. And we decided to go with Berlin next because I, I really wanted um, something different. You know, everything's very dark and dreary in mm-hmm. Carbon Twenty One Eighty Five, but Berlin and Germany are a kind of bastion of democracy and mm-hmm. clean energy, mm-hmm. and uh, they have clean air, and they became, excuse me, and they became very wealthy off of their natural resources because wood and plants are a very very rare commodity. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they're able – they've still got massive forests, which they have regulated very carefully uh, to gain immense wealth by selling. But, of course, even in a utopian society, people are people, and people are awful. So you still <laughs> have poachers, uh, kidnappers, people traffickers. Mm-hmm. People pay a lot of money for clean organs grown in bodies that were raised in unpolluted air. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, very very healthy you know, people are still illegal, log, illegally logging, uh, hunting animals for real animal furs, which are worth an absolute fortune. Mm. So in Berlin 2185, which we hope to unlock, and I think we will, um, you're, and that's going to be a free PDF. All of these are available as free PDFs to all backers. Mm. Um, you have to do add-ons for softcover versions, which we hope to unlock, but they will be available as free PDFs. In Berlin... You're not playing as a cyberpunk. You play as a government agent that's uh, very well supplied, very well stocked, mm. and looking to stomp out these illegal activities, the, these traffickers and uh, poachers and that sort of thing. So it's a very different flavor of the game. Mm. It's a real change of pace. So when is the uh, Southampton source book coming out? <laughs> I would say never. Probably closer <laughs> to twenty one eighty five than twenty twenty. <laughs> but Darren Pierce is writing Berlin for us. Oh right, okay. Nice. Uh, fantastic writer. He wrote um, London. He wrote everything. Mm. I think. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a company he hasn't written for. Yeah. <laughs> He's a prolific writer mm. and an absolute delight to work with. Right. Mm. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, next week, we have Phil Weed, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Steve Jackson Games and also a prolific Kickstarter creator. Oh. Uh, until then, thank you, Robert, for coming on. It's been an absolute blast. Oh, oh. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's goodbye from me, Russ. It's goodbye from me, Peter Coffey, from the Southampton Hill Birds. And it's goodbye from me, Robert Mariner Dodds. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.
I it's only showing can't work in a reference to the five who are famous and the secretive seven. <laughs> I did I did think about doing that, but I just thought the Americans wouldn't get it, but 